1: Welcome back to the less doing podcast episode 148 and uh, hopefully you can hear that I'm not as nasal as I was last week because I'm not sick anymore. How you doing Felix?
0: Damn.
1: Yeah, well we got some really cool things to talk about today. Um, the first one I want to get right into this is the kid runner. Did you see this?
0: Uh, I did, yes. This is
1: a really interesting concept. So I'm sure a lot of people are, I'm sure you've seen or familiar with the little trailers that, you know, you can hook behind your bike and pull a couple kids if you want. Mm -hmm. This is the same thing but for running. And it's like you look at it and you can't believe that it works. But basically it's like it's got a belt and this uh, sort of shock absorbing thing. And then Mm -hmm. you're pulling the kid behind you in a trailer while you run.
0: And I was wondering what, what the difference between, for this is between this and having a stroller. Uh,
1: well, I guess that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> I guess, well, for one thing, this is hands-free. Mm-hmm. And from the looks of the videos, it seems like you really can get a real run in. I mean, if you're, if you're running with a stroller in front of you, like a jogging stroller, which a lot of people do, you're certainly going to get some benefit of that. But you, you certainly can't run at your full cadence, and you're you're not gonna have oh, okay. uh, the, yeah. you're gonna have a little bit less maneuverability. So this is a more this is like you're actually just running, um, and this thing is connected to you. So you're gonna get the added benefit of it gets a little bit of drag too.
0: And it'll fit two kids in it then?
1: No, it looks like one. Um, oh, okay. But it's an interesting idea. I mean, it's it's really cool it design. Cool design. Uh, although you know, so I guess for people who are like training for a marathon or. Or like an Iron Man, then this this would be a great thing.
0: Yeah, it would be really handy for that. Yeah, so um, it's oh, it makes it so much harder though pushing a when you're running then that would make it that would really Im- increase the productivity of the uh, of the run. So the, the efficacy of your run, yeah. The efficacy, thank you. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, yeah. So anyway, that's that's a cool one. It's a Kickstarter campaign too. So we we try to keep up our trend of always talking about something on like Kickstarter. Uh, there's a service called unwind me and this is not a new service, but they have some new offerings. So unwind me is one of the many, uh, sort of on demand massage services. You know, there's like soothe and massage on demand and zeal. And there's all these ones that let you have an app and you can basically get a masseuse like in an hour or something, which is great. The unwind me is now offering a VIP membership. So you get a 90 minute massage every month plus 10% off all additional massages and VIP status, which uh, you know, I'm sure they're still developing that. But it's it's $99 a month.
0: Oh wow, $99 a month.
1: Yeah, and So,
0: so if so, if you're really into massages, then. Uh then that might be a good thing. Yeah,
1: yeah well, and the thing is, like a 90-minute massage alone is usually, I mean, at least in New York, or a lot of, I mean, I think most metropolitan major metropolitan areas is, is definitely more than $99, especially for a 90-minute massage, not a yeah. Uh, massage. yeah, right. So this is really cool, and then you're getting 10% off the further one. So if you're into massages, and I, I think massage is a wonderful thing to do when you can, uh, it's this is, this is a really cool offering from Unwind Me, and it's a good way to, to get into the service as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, okay, so now this this is a random one that I wanted to throw in here. I've been obsessed with this stuff called Nutso for the past two months or so. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's it's the only seven nut and seed butter on the planet, <clears throat> and uh, it's got so the one so there's a few varieties, but the one I get is their Power Fuel one, and it has uh, this is an, a nut butter. It's basically. a nut butter, yeah. So yeah. it has Brazil nuts, flax seeds, chia seeds, pumpkin seeds. Uh, Almonds, cashews, and walnuts in it, and it is so good. I never, I never put it on anything. I never have actually. I literally just have like a scoop of it, and it's so good and really filling. And it's actually in my uh, sort of quest to overcome or to get rid of sugar. This Mm -hmm. is my, this is my dessert typically now. So whenever I have a meal, like this is the end of the meal. I'll have a spoonful of this stuff, and that's like that sort of like tops me off. Wow, and. Has no added sugar, I take it. No sugar. That's the thing. So it's got like one gram of sugar, which is just naturally occurring.
0: Because and I'm looking straight at the chocolate one. Have you well, tried yes. That?
1: So no, I have not tried the chocolate one because I found out about that during this experience. Uh, the chocolate one does have a little bit of sugar, however, it's still extremely healthy. Uh, I'm just going to look at it really quick because I think that they. It's
0: just two grams of sugar.
1: Yeah, which is nothing. Um, and it's yeah. and it's two grams. I'm just trying to. Two tablespoons. Yeah. Where it comes from? Why there's. I just want to see what the ingredient is that gives, that gives it the the sweet. Peruvian
0: dark chocolate, organic cocoa liquor, organic cane sugar.
1: Oh, okay. So they are putting, they are actually adding sugar into it, which is in which the is cho- In the chocolate in one. In the though, chocolate one the, only. And again, it's really not a big deal. It's two grams of sugar. It's nothing. But currently I'm just being kind of fanatical about this. And I don't want to yeah, get exactly. anything that's even remotely sweet. But this stuff is so, so good. It's really, really good for kids. It's like, it's all the benefits of having all these different nuts. And we're talking about omegas. Uh, good fats, and, and then a whole host of other benefits as well. Like Brazil nuts have selenium in them. There's just really, really wonderful things that you get from like one spoonful of this stuff. I love it.
0: Wow, I think I might order one of these right away. or have Fetch order me one of these right yes, away.
1: get Fetch right on it. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it's really – it's great stuff. Um, okay, so now this is not – this is this – is, I love when – Sometimes, obviously, we have to share these articles that don't necessarily tell you something new, but they just reinforce something that I've said many, many, many times before. So I I just like when those kind of things happen. Uh, So this is an article in Medical Daily about it says orange tinted glasses block blue light from electronic devices, promoting better sleep. Now, any of you who've listened to me even for a little while know that my number one sleep hack is to wear blue blocking sunglasses at night mm-hmm. and it really works uh, it really really works and this is just one of many studies that show that it does work and now you can even get blue light uh filtered uh, like sh- um, filters that can go on your ipad for instance so you can put this sort of clear lens or not a lens you know the um the films that like protect the screen so you can mm-hmm. put that on top of the the screen and that'll block the light then you don't have to wear the glasses if you don't want But me right now, the blue blocking sunglasses are almost like a signaling mechanism to my body that it's time to go to sleep. So when I, yeah, so when I put them on, I actually usually just put them on now to read, uh, which you technically wouldn't need to, but I'll put a lamp on and I'll read. And then, I mean, within 15 minutes, I'm like passing out. So it's just really signaling to my body that it's nighttime and it's time to go to sleep. And it works like a charm.
0: Uh, That's cool. Also,
1: a good thing, by the way, to wear on a plane. To help with jet lag. Oh, uh, really? With, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. The yeah. fluorescent light is just really, really harsh. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, okay, so there was an article on uh, TaskRabbit's blog, and I, I just I just thought this was cool. When when TaskRabbit started in New York, uh, I lived at the time a couple blocks from the, the main Apple store in Soho, and every single time a new Apple device would come out, you would see like a half a dozen or more people wearing TaskRabbit jackets waiting in line to get, you know, they were holding a line for somebody basically to get. They,
0: do they actually, wear, do they actually um, always wear a, something to show they're a TaskRabbit? Not always, but a lot of them do. It, oh, I, I,
1: I think that uh, once, you, once you're once you a TaskRabbit for a few months or something, they start sending you swag basically because uh, the ones that I've had were, you know, I've, I've probably used or worked with, like, over 50 different TaskRabbits. And I'd say probably half of them had either a T-shirt or a jacket or a hat or something that said TaskRabbit. Oh, okay. okay. So, Okay. But anyway, this was an article on their blog, and it was basically about how people have been outsourcing waiting in line since the 1850s, <laughs> and, uh, which is kind of amazing. So basically what they're yeah. saying was during the gold rush in San Francisco in the 1850s, uh, basically people would wait in line for hours to receive letters and mail that were basically coming okay. twice a month from steamers uh, coming through Panama. So once the ship was in port, people crowded around the post office for hours, and they blocked streets, and people would be smoking and chewing tobacco, and they would sit and read, and it was just like an all-day affair.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: people started selling their spots in line for 10 or $15, which is about $500 in today's money.
0: Oh, wow. So, but yeah. this,
1: this is people who weren't even expecting letters. So they basically would, you know, they weren't expecting any letters. So they would just go get up a spot in line, and then they'd sell the spot. Right, right. <laughs> so pretty brilliant, actually. And there's a really cool illustration of it. I just thought that was really funny. So uh, this is this is not new. So if you're not outsourcing, you're, you're really behind the times.
0: No comment. <laughs> oh, no. oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry i don't really have a comment yet it's um no it's it's a it's a good um yeah it's a good use of outsourcing i guess and um yeah it's been happening a long time uh-huh. long time sorry <laughs> no
1: okay so the next thing this one's called frankie uh, and this is specific to slack so uh slack if you're not familiar with it is a communication platform for groups it could be it's usually for companies but it could be for teams or whatever and it's it's brilliantly simple, and I've been using it with my team for about two months now, and it, it reduces the amount of emails you send, in some cases, by almost 100% to your team. So it's, it's essentially like chat. I mean, it's not very different than that, but you can share uh, any kind of file. You can share Google Docs, Dropbox files, uh, images, sounds, whatever you want. And it's divided into channels, which is what's really cool about it. So you could have a channel for each project you're working on. You could have a channel for each department uh, for each uh, region, whatever it might be, and so when you're in that channel, you're only talking about that subject and anything related to that, and only certain people are on certain channels if you want you know, so you might only have your sales team on your sales channel and the marketing people on the marketing channel, uh, and it's just a really, really great way to organize information. It's completely sortable. So Frankie will actually put email into Slack, which is really cool, so it'll it'll interact uh, or integrate. With your Google Apps, and then any emails that you're sending back and forth with your team will actually just show up in Slack, so you can see it all there in one place. It's really going to disrupt the communications uh, sort of protocol, as far as I'm concerned. It's great.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, 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 and I know you don't really I, have experience with this, but it's, it's it's an awesome thing. No, because I, I don't do any of this kind of um, yeah. team team building <laughs> thing, but um, but I mean, I, I have worked in companies and. You know, a long, long time ago, and I can see how that would be be useful.
1: Yes, right. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, it's just really cool. Uh, now, there's an article on Bulletproof that is called uh, "Biohack Your Acid Reflux Treatment Without Gener- uh, Dangerous Drugs." Now, this is this is really fascinating to me because. The last drug that I could not get off of that was that was a struggle to get off of when I was getting off my meds was Prilosec, which is for acid reflux. I just oh, really? yeah, it was the last one. I I I'd gotten rid of all the others, but I still every time I missed a day on my my Prilosec, I would get really bad indigestion. And I finally oh, I see. Okay. hacked that, and I'm not sure, I'm not even sure if this is one of his recommendations, but I hacked it with uh, garlic pills so i started taking garlic pills and that actually really helped and this is the interesting thing there's a really big misconception about acid reflux most people assume that acid reflux is because you have too much stomach acid and it's like kind of gurgling up or burning right that's that's the assumption yeah but in a lot of situations it's actually because you have too little stomach acid Irony, which is really interesting. So, Mm -hmm. because what's happening basically is that you you don't have enough stomach acid to properly digest food completely, and then it basically starts to ferment and break down in your stomach instead of in your gut, and that's actually what causes the reflux. really? yeah. So, and people's uh, acid stomach acid production naturally goes down as they get older. So it's actually it, – it's a, it's a really interesting thing. So the problem with acid reflux drugs is they actually make the problem worse because they are they block your body's ability to produce proper amounts of stomach acid. So you really just okay. – not only are not breaking the food down, which is leading to acid reflux, but you're not getting a lot of the nutritional benefits of that food that you need. So uh, one of the things that I – again, that I found that was really good was taking uh, deodorized garlic, garlic pills. Hmm. So that was one thing. Um, you can also take digestive enzymes. You can <clears> take like ox bile or you can take uh, Digestec from it, And all those things are going to help with breaking down that food better. Uh, yeah, And then the other thing is you can also provide yourself with a little bit more acid. So you can actually drink little amounts of – well, I mean it, it's not little amounts because it might hurt you. It's just not pleasant necessarily. But you can drink small amounts of, uh, of apple cider vinegar, for instance, and that will also help. Because – some people will actually just take hydrochloric acid and that's what's in their stomach and that will help uh, break down the food. But if you take too much of it, then that's going to cause the other problem, which is having too much stomach acid. So it's just kind of a fascinating thing. If you suffer from acid reflux, realize that the problem may actually and most likely is that you don't have enough stomach acid. Uh, uh,
0: okay. Yeah.
2: Wow.
1: The other thing, I by mean, the way, that I naturally does to have it. This bad. Sorry, go on. No, the on. other thing that naturally does it is bitters, by the way. So if you're. Having bitters of some sort that will help with your uh,
0: digestive secretions. Okay. Anyway,
1: what were you saying?
0: Um, because I, I used to have this actually when I was um, about sort of doing sixty eight, and I used to get acid reflux. But it tend I tended to get it more when it was um, it, it was definitely to do with like night if I went windsurfing all day and then didn't eat and then it was definitely related to you know when i ate more than what i ate yeah,
1: that, um, and that's, that, that's a thing did you too, find I'm anything sure.
0: like that at all with yours or
1: um it depends you know it, <laughs> yes generally speaking but then like when i was doing iron man i had to basically train my body to be able to eat while i was exercising so that kind of whole thing went away. Now I can pretty much digest in any situation I want now. <laughs> wow! But it's yes, like you're, you're right.
0: The opposite you know. of Crohn's now, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. I basically <laughs> just turned my body into like a furnace for uh, for food. So um, let's get on to the interview though, because today's interview is with Aunt Anne Ray, who is a she's a really interesting artist who basically, usually, course on helping artists sell their work and make a career out of it in a business and uh, she interviewed me. Actually, she interviewed me. I did a a guest lecture for her class, and it was a, it was a really fun interview. I got some really great quotes out of her, actually. So, uh, thanks, Felix. Let's get on to the interview with Anne.
0: All right. See you next time.
2: And now for feature interview.
1: Now I'm speaking with Ann Ray, who is an artist and also the creator of "Making Art, Making Money." So, uh, Ann, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me.
2: Oh, thank you. I'm, it's a pleasure. <laughs>
1: so, why don't you tell us a little about yourself, how you how you got started as an as an artist, and how "Making Art, Making Money" came about.
2: Well, um, let's. I'll try to give you the Reader's Digest version, but essentially, I went to art school. I went to a very prestigious art school and cost a lot of money. Got a lot of scholarships, and um, you know, when you're in art school, you're you're pretty much you're sh- almost shamed for asking how you're going to make money.
1: <laughs> right.
2: Uh, which is ridiculous because the art market is absolutely huge, and it's literally exploded during the recession. So um, it's a huge business uh, but it's a lot like the publishing industry and the music industry it's guarded by gatekeepers and um, so you've seen, we've all witnessed the shifts and the disruption in the music industry and the publishing industry and it's my aim to help disrupt the art industry, and, and um, the way that I came to this was, you know, I actually went to art school, invested in a lot of time and energy and passion, and then wound up quitting in favor of a corporate job, which is was a long, sad story. When I finally, so I didn't paint or draw anything for over a decade. Wow. Yeah. And during that time, I developed some debilitating anxiety and depression and insomnia. So, if you're naturally a creative person and you're not expressing yourself or creating anything, it has really profound effects on your psyche. I'm not. I talked to other artists who've endured this also, and they this is this is something that that can happen. So, long story short, I wound up deciding to paint again. And, um, once I did, um, it was sort of like, it was like, I just took to it like a duck to water and I wound up meeting, uh, Wayne Thiebaud, who is an American art icon and Mm he mentored me and encouraged me. And, you know, at one point during one meeting, he said, you know, you're good enough. You could really, you know, do this. Like you, you could do this full time. Now when, when he Suggested that to me. He was at the pinnacle of his career. He had a retrospective show touring the nation that was at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and his paintings were starting to sell for over $1 million. Now they're much more than that now. So you'd think this is the go to guy, right? He's going to be able to tell me what I need to do. So I asked, so when he said that, I was really, you know, I was just full of excitement and confidence. Mm-hmm. And I said, all right, so how, how would I do that? And, and here's what he said. He said, I don't know. I'm not a businessman.
0: <laughs>
2: and I thought to myself, I thought, well, the IRS sure as shit thinks you're a businessman. Your canvases are selling for over a million dollars. Like, what? And I realized there in, in that moment I had an epiphany. And the epiphany was very, very clear. That there was this disconnect between making art and making money that was a false and destructive and unnecessarily self-limiting construct and i realized that as long as i looked for permission from the art establishment i would be forever hampered and that re- in that moment i realized oh hell no this is just baloney and then i went on a journey just to figure out okay how can i do this and get a piece of that big fat pie and I realized I needed to learn how to become an entrepreneur. And I'm still learning how to become an entrepreneur. It's a never-ending um, education I'm sure you can relate to. So long. that's not a very long, long, that's not a very short story. It's a very, it's a long-winded story. But that's basically how you and I are talking to one another. Because then I went on to teach a creative live and develop uh, an, an eight-part course called The Making Art, Making Money Semester that spells out how I accomplished this and um what I did was at one point I realized I wouldn't you know I was selling my art on the side and working and and then I realized I wouldn't wanted to make a go of it and so I mean I did what was really not very rational I moved to San Francisco and said I'm going to paint for a living which which was crazy but I I wrote a business plan and a marketing plan and frankly it was quite half baked wasn't that great but um, I, my goal was to sell over $100,000 within the first year of being a full-time artist, and I did it.
1: Wow. Congratulations.
2: Thank you. And then, our, I, then I started to get some press features. I was in Fortune Magazine on um, HGTV, and artists started to come to me asking for help. And honestly, at first I just thought, I'm, I, don't, you know, I'm not a, I don't know, I, I'm busy, and I, I don't know if I can teach you this. And then I just thought, well, you know i love marketing and, and and the fact is is it's actually just as creative as having a blank canvas in front of you. The experience is not that different and um and I frankly I got tired of hearing the starving artist reference, and I think it's a really disrespectful slur. It's like saying, you know like it's like saying you know angry physicians like what, what <laughs> all physicians are angry like, it starts to it's just it's been said so many times that we believe it but it's complete bs because there's so much money changing hands in the art world it's crazy so anyway that's how i started eventually that that's how it i um came to the place where i'm launching making art making money semester and here i am <laughs>
1: Yeah. Okay. So the, there's there's I mean <laughs> there's like six different directions I want to go in right now. But uh, so for people listening to the podcast, uh, you may may or may or may not be aware that I I grew up entirely in the art world. My father has been an art dealer for 45 years, and my mother was an artist, a painter, and now she does. Uh, photography books on food, uh, and I, I mean, I basically lived in an art gallery my entire life, and, and being around artists was always just something like normal to me. So uh, I I have a a good amount of knowledge about how this this kind of works. So I was really excited to get Anne on the the show here. So yeah, first of all, I, I think I will work backwards actually. So you mentioned the thing about the starving artists, and I <laughs> I, I, I agree. I think it's such an annoyance because. In my world, at least now, you know, it's very popular in the startup world for people to, to wear busyness as a badge of honor. And <laughs> I think it's like a very similar thing in some ways. Yes! Yeah, yeah, so it's not cool... To be working twenty hours a day coding like that doesn 't make you impressive or interesting or successful, really, um, right. and I think at the same time, I think that there are still some people who do they want to like live the starving artist lifestyle like it 's almost like um, like the show girls you know where it 's like there 's a stereotype that 's being fulfilled, and I think that some people get very comfortable with that and the thing is, is if you can marry passion with a lifestyle or you know supporting yourself. That's probably the ultimate goal for a lot of people. So, why shouldn't you be able to do that as an artist? Why shouldn't you be able to be passionate and benefit from your passion, at least while you're alive, <laughs> if not Great. if not afterwards? So, I, I agree, and 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 I think that there is there's there's so many conflicting things, especially when it comes to artists. I feel like because on the one hand it's like yes, pursue your passion, do what you want, uh, and and then maybe some, you know, maybe it'll work out for you, and maybe you'll figure out some other way to support it. But then you also have these people who they've spent fifty thousand dollars a year on art school, and they have their, you know, three thousand uh, dollar MacBook Pro, and they live 50, in and they live in a, a loft. Year. What? Fifty
2: thousand dollars a year now. A year,
1: yeah, and and they're living in like a loft downtown, and they have the whole cool persona going on. But they're this, you know, quote unquote, starving artist. Right. So it, it's I. I think it's a very tough world to navigate in a way. So the first question, actually, then is, what do you, do you think that there's a big benefit to going to art school? Because you know a lot of people would say that for college, at least, and, and for for business nowadays, it actually can be a detriment to you to go to school because of the expense and the lack of return that you might get. So how how do you think that plays with with art right. school?
2: Yeah, it's debatable. Um, it depends. Well, obviously it depends on your resources. I mean, a lot of people I went to school with were like, you know, the heir to American greetings. So tuition was chump change for, for him. Um, and so I, I, mean, I, I, went to, I went to a school with a lot of very wealthy kids. And so it really wasn't uh, a financial burden for for their parents or for them. Um, it was a hustle for me. I had to, you know, I had to make it work financially. Nowadays, you know, it's more expensive to go to the Rhode Island School of Des- Design than it is to go to Harvard Law School. And frankly, if you went to Harvard Law School, you would sell more art because you would have be friends with a lot more prospects. Right. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think that, um, you know, I don't know, I don't, I, I can't say yes or no. I benefited from my art education, but I also you know I also had to deal with a lot of and it may, hopefully things have changed. but when I went to art school, I had a whole lot of really sexist professors who damaged my uh, confidence and self-esteem because I was young and vulnerable to their opinion. And frankly, that was a, that was a price I had to pay of, of a beyond my tuition and time. Um, hopefully the environment has changed and that's far less permissible. I don't think that, I don't, I don't know if I would do it again. I think that, um, but you've got to, you've got to learn, on the other hand, you've got to learn your craft. You have to, you can't just want to be an artist. You actually, as you well know, you know, you have to have some clear talent, but talent is just the minimum price of admission. Then you become an entrepreneur One of my favorite quotes is every artist is an entrepreneur and every entrepreneur is an artist. So you're not going to learn business in art school just like you're not going to learn how to make art in business school. And frankly, you can't learn how to sell art in business school. And I'll tell you why I know why. The reason I know why is because my brother was the dean of a business school for many years. And he could not help me one bit with my business plan or my enterprise. He had no clue. Didn't know where to start. Yeah, I mean, I,
1: I went to the Wharton School of Business, and I, you know, I, I majored in real estate. I got a C minus in real estate development, and that was my profession for the last. Ah. You know, I still am a real estate developer technically, um, and I have been for 14 years. But what I learned then the three years after school was uh, nothing that I learned in school. You know, so right. but but with art, you know, again, I I still have like sort of mixed opinions on this, but. I do feel like there, there's also the problem that we have in the current art world where everybody just wants to express themselves and they do it any way they want and then it's celebrated and there's no real, uh, there's no real attention to the craft, you know? So right. I, I think that it is important that people learn perspective and color theory and things like that, but right. I don't know if that's worth, you know, $100,000 investment.
2: Well, I'd say it's well, it's more than a hundred thousand dollars now, right? If you average tuition, I think I did it we we did a little survey of the average that we took the top the top schools, the top art schools, and it, it was it was like according to I think it was um, news and report, like the top art. I think it was like forty five thousand dollars a year on average right now. Um, which is a lot of money. Um, first of all, you know, this whole this whole idea of just expressing yourself and being celebrated flies in the face of what I'm teaching the Making Art, Making Money semester. No. One of the things that I'm saying all the time is it's not about you, it's about them. And when you make it about them, then it will be about you. Them being your target market. Um, there's a lot of self-absorbed... Um, really self-absorbed orientation um, that, that happens in art school and happens in the traditional art establishment and that does not work, that does not make for a viable business. One of the things that I do is I teach a very abbreviated art history lesson and I look at major figures in art history and identify their creative purpose, their mission, their unique value proposition and their target market and they all had one and I will debate anybody on this point. Unless you understand what those elements are, you ain't going to make it. You're not going to have a chance. So um, Some artists may stumble upon it but it's not very likely and why hope to stumble upon it when you can do it very deliberately and you can just go make a business?
1: Yeah, you know, I'm I'm glad to hear you say that as well. I, I, the, again, that idea to like just express yourself, do whatever you want, and like the, and then call that art, and it, that's fine, and you could express yourself and do that. But and then it, it it's celebrated in weird ways. Have you ever, have you ever seen the movie Untitled?
2: No, but maybe I should.
1: Oh my gosh. Okay. Yes, you have to see the movie Untitled. I think you'll really it. Like, I already it. like the name of it. <laughs> it's just like the BS that I talking about right now. Well, so we'll, we'll definitely have a link to Untitled in the show notes. It's such an it's such an interesting and funny movie. Um, it's with Adam Goldberg, and it's basically, it's about the modern art and modern music scene, and there is an artist in it who's supposed to be a parody of Damien Hirst, uh, mm. who, uh, I don't mind saying this, like I absolutely cannot stand everything that he represents and stands for. Um, <laughs> and the there are... Uh, there's an artist who basically he's like in a, in a room and he has a push pin and he puts it on one part of the wall and like that is the art. And it's just, right. it, it's a very, very well done movie. But at the same time, so the, the main character is, is Adam Goldberg and he is a, a modern musician and his music is like, there's a bucket with a chain in it and um, a bass clarinet and then somebody screaming and somebody else crying and like all that's the music. Um, and his brother is a very commercial artist who makes like the same painting pretty much over and over uh, and sells to hotels and stuff. So, it's just a it's a really good look at it. So you definitely Definitely should see that.
2: I definitely will. It sounds wonderful.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty good. Um, so I may
2: even put this in my. Uh, I mean, I I think I may even make. I'm gonna watch the movie first, but I may make it a homework assignment in the making art, making money semester. Oh sounds please, great.
1: please do. It's it's, <laughs> it's so well done. Uh, so, but what what is so interesting to me about what you're doing too, in, in terms of like less doing and 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 personal growth and productivity, is you are taking people who are. Stereotypically, yes, but but stereotypically not good at business, and you're turning them into uh, not necessarily business people, but people who can create their own business and support their own work in a pretty short period of time.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
1: what is it? What does a semester look like? What are the what are the sort of the broad strokes? <laughs> no pun so, intended.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, well, it's eight courses, and uh, within the semester. Just like going to school, you've got eight courses, but they're sequential courses, and each course represents eight sequential and iterative realms of building a creative enterprise. So we start with accomplishing, which is really just about learning, and you'll probably resonate with this because it's about the first course, accomplishing is about defining and remaining committed to a smarter goal and building productive habits. So that's the that's where we start. That's the foundation, and then we move into the second realm, which is visioning. And visioning is really about confirming your values and determining your creative purpose, like just knowing yourself and what it is you have to say to the world. Because as an artist, you're a thought leader, and you have to know who you are and what you stand for. If you've got talent and you've really got something to say to the world, you you have to make art. If you want to be heard, you have to sell art. And then next is valuing, which is really about creating unique value. Wait, you know
1: what? I'm sorry, not to interrupt, but can you just back up and say that one more time? Because I think that's so poignant. So just Please just say that again. <laughs> oh,
2: about visioning, the visioning realm? The no,
1: second. just about if you want to make art versus selling art.
2: If you... Really, if you have unique talent and you really have something to say to the world, you have to make art. You have to. I mean, I know because I didn't for over a decade and I suffered. But if you want to be heard, you have to sell art.
1: I really want people to take note of that because that doesn't just apply to being an artist. I think that's such such a good way to put it, that if you have a talent... That is unique. You absolutely have to share it, but you know, if you really want to make an impact, then you, you have to market it. <laughs> right. So right. okay, sorry. So go on. I just l- no, I love funny. that. that's
2: fine. No, I'm glad. I'm glad that resonates with you. It's really. It's a really important point for me. Um, so the third realm is valuing, and valuing is about creating unique value above and beyond your art. I don't believe in selling art. Selling art sucks. Selling art market is completely oversaturated. It's like the it's like the wine industry. There's no point in trying to sell your art, frankly. Your art needs to be a byproduct of a greater value proposition. And if you look at famous artists in history, that's exactly what they were up to. There's so much, there was so much comparable talent, but they created unique value above and beyond the art and it served a target market. It solved a problem or alleviated a pain for a target market. So that's what the valuing realm is about. Dealing number four, the fourth realm is about just basically maintaining a clear and concise making money plan. A one—it's really a one-page business plan, but I don't call it a business plan because artists will cringe often when I say business plan. But that's what it is, and I, it's a—it's a its a you got it. That's got to be current. It's got to be your 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 making money plan as your compass. It's not a roadmap; it's a compass, so it changes, and you've got to keep it up to date. And the fifth realm is targeting which is really about connecting with and celebrating your target market's values and culture. And essentially, you know that's marketing. And then the sixth realm is selling. And selling is just having guided conversations and instead of trying to make uncomfortable sales pitches. So I actually will teach teach artists how to sell, really just how to have the conversation. And then the seventh realm is copywriting. This is critical because you've got to claim your intellectual property. It's a vital financial asset, and it can yield you income today or in the future. And uh, there's not enough understanding or protection of, and it's simple to protect your copyright. It costs you 35 45 bucks, You do it online. actually show you how to do it. Copyright attorney uh, who's a guest lecturer like you who shows us how to do it. It's done. That's important because you're, the amount of damages you can claim are significantly higher if you if you've registered your copyright. And then, the, last but not least, is the eighth realm, which is profiting. And that's really basic math. You know, you bring in more money in and spending less money. You know, it's not. This is not an accounting course. It's just really an awareness of money because a lot of times it's really about cleaning up the chaos that's money uh, and money does not money is very precise it doesn't flow into chaos so a lot of this course is just about cleaning that up and examining your relationship with with money and cleaning up the chaos so that's that's in a nutshell or those are the eight courses which reflect the eight realms and it's like I mentioned it's iterative so once you've gone through these realms you've mastered them you go back you go back and start it start again at accomplishing Am I clear on my goals? Am I actually productive? Am I, you know, what are my habits look like? Where are they leading me? You just, you know, just keep moving.
1: So do you see uh, a value to art dealers in that equation?
2: I think that they can be. It depends very much on the art dealer. I mean, I have a relationship with an art dealer in Montana. She's ethical. She does what she says she's going to do. She pays you on time. She's, you know, she's, but I have to say, unfortunately, she is not typical. She's not. So it just very much depends on the art dealer. And they're not all bad. They're not all good. Um, But they, here's the problem with, Using an intermediary, first of all, they often want to control the distribution channels, which no other small business would agree to. It's unreasonable, right? That's one thing. They're not supposed to say, oh, you can only, you know, I'm your only representative, or you can only work with, you know, like, that, that's just baloney. Like, really? That, that's, that's ridiculous, but a lot of them will, you know, they want to control the market and so they, they, even though it's not legal in most instances, they will restrict artists from selling through other representatives. So that's a problem right there. The other problem is, is that when you're using, a, going through a dealer, they, they want to keep you at arm's distance away from the collector because they want, they want, that a lot of people would prefer to buy directly from the artist. And so if you develop a relationship with the collector, then the dealer is not going to get their cut. So that's a problem. The other problem is, and this is fundamental, I don't believe in selling art. I think, like I said, selling art sucks. So you really believe in selling a value above and beyond the art, and you can't do that through a dealer because they just sell art. That's what they're wired to do, and that's what they're very good at. Well, some are and some aren't. So... It's just sort of an old paradigm. It's like you know, can that, I guess the question? It's similar to asking the question, you know, should I go through a traditional publisher or not? Well, if yeah. you can get to, if you can get to one, like we get to Simon Schuster or whoever, right? Great, that's great. But even that said, nowadays you're still going to have to market it, even if you have a traditional publisher publish your book.
1: Yeah, and, and I, I I've definitely seen that as well. I think that, uh, and I'm not. This is not like a defense thing. I I've, I've seen. Very, very different kinds of art dealers. And I, my, I know there that my, my father yes. w- has done a lot of things that are unique in terms of being an art dealer. Um, one of which was that he would never sell paintings to people that he believed they were buying for investment purposes. And that's not to say that art is not an investment, but he wants people to love the art and really want that art. And there's, there's been times where there have been celebrities... Who've had their assistants, you know, contact my the gallery looking for images and thing for their boss's apartment, and my dad simply won't talk to them. Like, basically, people had to come in, spend time with him, get to like see the art, talk about the stuff, and then then they were allowed to buy. <laughs> so, oh, well, way- I
2: like. His- very much. That's great.
1: Yeah, and and but again, I've also seen the other side of it, and it's funny because there was a, a reality show last year or the year before, which was called Gallery Girls, and it was not it was it was a terrible show. I mean, re- um, reality TV aside, it was not very good. But uh, one of the galleries in it was one was one of my father's galleries, um, and <laughs> the other galleries, like you, there was just a very very big difference, and there was one. Particular dealer who's right around the corner from my dad's gallery, actually, that was pretty shady. I felt like in a lot of the things that they yeah. were doing, and uh, it, it's almost—I I feel like it's in some cases—it's like they're they're giving this image that they're like protecting a creative genius, but at the same time, it is what you're saying—is they're keeping them at arm's length from the people that really want to give them money.
2: Yes, exactly. Yeah, and like I said, I I, I think it's if it if you have a relationship with a representative. Who is ethical, who pays you on time, who doesn't, who actually helps you grow your business. And I said business, not career. Note that. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, then fantastic. You've won the lottery, literally, because it's very, very difficult to find that relationship. Um, and like, um, but I said, like I said, if you found it, then great, keep it and treasure it and nurture it. But most artists can't find it.
1: Yeah, no, I I completely agree. Um, Okay, so I I didn't even realize we're just about out of time here. So the last question that I always like to ask people in these interviews is, and you you can interpret this however you like, but what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective?
2: To be more effective. Well, I think first of all, I think I'm going to go back to my, my own, um, realm, which is, uh, the, when I talked about vision, visioning, mm-hmm. just, mm-hmm. you know, knowing yourself, like really no, like it, you can be effective all live long day, but to what end, you know, wh- how is it that you want to live your life? What are you after? I think that's important. Like knowing what your values are and no one really knowing what's important to you. You can't underestimate that. We're all, like you said earlier, we're all so busy. It's like a badge of honor to be busy. Well, busy doing what and why? I would think that that would be my advice about being more effective, knowing thyself. I think another piece of advice is in my experience in life, we don't succeed alone. So, you know, really, you know, there's re- relationships equal revenue. So, like, understand, like, growing your relationship, authentic relationships with a network of of supportive people where you're mutually um supporting one another you know that i think that that's a great way to be very effective is just really to be you know it's like jim Rohn's quote you're the average of five people you spend the most time with right so that would be my second point is really just minding your relationships and um and then i think the third point is like take some time off (laughs) and goof off and do nothing and just don't even try to be effective Like, be deliberate about that. And, uh, you know, when you're like, look like, you know, what do you, what do you do to just chillax and not do anything?
1: (sighs) (laughs) No, I agree. I, and actually it's, 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 uh appropriate that you know you're an artist too because one of the things that i'm always recommending to people is that they learn a skill that has nothing to do with the business that they do on a regular basis and in yeah. my in my case that was actually i, I had uh I've, I've worked in like every construction trade imaginable but i took an artistic welding class right before my That's first cool. son was born yeah and it was incredible uh other than the fact that i welded the name that we had chosen for our son in uh Inch and a quarter steel, and then we changed the name. Uh, but uh, it was it was a wonderful, wonderful experience, and I got a lot of the ideas for the foundation and the fundamentals of less doing while I was doing that. Because I believe I was putting myself in a in a mental situation that was just completely different than anything I was you know, normally used to. So I agree with you. Take that deliberate yeah. time to do nothing, and and something will probably come out of that.
2: Doing nothing is really important. It, it's a, you know it's called the fertile void. Right, The fertile void, when you're doing nothing, I mean that means like taking a bubble bath or taking a drive. I have probably during those times, that's when my perspective will shift to actually a more productive perspective. My energy will lift. I'll think of a new idea or um, insight that I would have never gained if I just kept grinding away. So, I think it's really, really important.
1: I love the uh, that fertile void. You've given me some really good uh, good quotes today, so thank you. Oh, good. Uh, So, and you know, this is really really great. Where can people find out more about you? You know, your URLs. We're going to have everything in the show notes, but just you know, say it for them. Oh,
2: thank you. Well, if you're interested in applying for the Making Art, Making Money semester, you can go to makingartmakingmoney.com, and I'm you can apply. I'm actually enrollment has not begun for the next semester, but you can get yourself on the waiting list there. Um my blog is thrive.com and you can find me also on Facebook I'm pretty, on Facebook. I have a fan page called Artists Who Thrive.
0: Awesome. Well Anne, thank you so much. That was wonderful.
2: Well good. I'm glad you liked
0: it. <laughs> Hello everyone. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing podcast. If you want to find out more information of the show, we would love to hear from you. You can go to lessdoing.com where you can look at Ari's blog, see the show notes for this episode, and also look at all the other episodes before this. If you want to send us a voicemail, we'd love to hear from you and we'll play it on the show. You go to lessdoing.com, click on contact, and look on the right side of the page where you'll see a, a send voicemail button. Click on that and go ahead and record an audio message for us. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter. Ari's Twitter handle is at Ari Meisel and mine is at Felix Bird. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. See you next time.